It's super kinda frustrating, this app will sound atrocious, it's simply due to copyright and Bodos being cautious. If you want to hear this app without these interruptions, click the link in our show notes and have fun downloading. If you can say that backwards for me, I'll give you a hundred euro. <laughs> you get one chance. Okay. Do I look up first? <laughs> Not even close. It's easy. It? It's Doshus Ali Expiastic Fragicalirupus. <laughs> You're not getting 100 euro from me. That wasn't the terms of our, of our arrangements, Kevin Lehan. No bloody way. <laughs> I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. What did you say? You are a sad, strange little man. Don't call me stupid. Hello and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast about film scenes, where each week we pick our favourites. I'm your co-host and I cannot sing. Say hallelujah, come on, get at me. <laughs> Brilliant, well done. Oh. This is uh, Kevin, uh, a screenwriter of one and a bit films, three and a bit episodes of TV and hundreds of deleted tweets. And I'm joined by my co-host Will, a screenwriter of three films, a Christmas special and the upcoming adaptation of Ryan Andrews' graphic novel, This Was Our Pact. Oh, my God. Oh, is that, is that me? Oh, that's been announced. Oh, my God. Kevin, thank you so much. <laughs> Congrats, Will. It, well, look, I'm delighted that something's gotten announced, but it's a um, beautiful uh, graphic novel. And, um, yeah, I'm just really lucky to be kind of a part of that team. Yeah. So, people are going to be joining us we presume will each week somebody new might be uh diving into the podcast and um we have to sort of like catch them up and give them a sort of a, a sense of what the podcast is about so uh take it away all right okay so basically what this show is about is that we have a we have a big wheel with from uh, action scene to zombie scene at the end of each episode we spin the wheel and one of us gets a topic and the next week we have to come back with our, our best bit from that particular topic so for tonight's topic kevin you got best musical number so um how did you get on uh fantastic i uh, can't wait to get into it but uh when i was like doing my research there was one thing that jumped out at me and it was a quote by bob fossey you know bob fossey is um, a choreographer and a director of a, a couple of musicals in the late 60s and early 70s, like All That Jazz and um, Sweet Chariot and Cabaret yeah. and stuff. But he said that every single musical has two songs in it, and it's the I Want song. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing. And the I Am song. Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop and that's what's bothering me. Mm. And I thought that uh, seeing as this is a whole musical episode, that we could kick it off with the other song that precedes that. And that's the scene setting song. It's also called like the Peasants on the Green or uh, the Status Quo song. But it's a song that 
uh, establishes the world, tells you where the story is going to be set and sort of gets you up to speed on uh, the type of music that's going to be in this musical. And uh, I thought I, what I would do for this episode is I would pepper the whole episode with about five different musicals, which are my favourite five musicals. And my big number, my show-stopping sort of best bit will come from one of these five. I love it. Uh, but to kick us off, the first one of these musicals is um, Little Shop of Horrors. It's the 1987 Frank Oz film about the killer plant that um, is growing and growing based on the blood and the flesh that it needs to be fed by Rick Moranis. And the song that's going to kick off this episode is um, the scene-setting song called Skid Row. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. I've never seen I've never seen this version of Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. So what I'm hoping out of um, sort of picking up my five is that people have a, an aversion to the musical genre, and I think it's um, it's a little bit like music. It's like you can't say that you dislike music because you don't like opera, for instance. It's all taste, and yeah. For me, the musicals that I love are the ones that have got like downtown sort of rhythm and blues, or rock and roll, or Motown, and. Um, that uh, Little Shop of Horrors is like all motor music, and it's um, it's also a comedy. So it's 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 one of those things that just sort of appeals to me. It's funny, it's dark, and um, it's one of the unusual ones in that it's based on a musical adaptation of a Roger Corman film, which is the Jack Nicholson uh, debut in um, a film that was shot in two days on Roger Corman's studio on existing sets, yeah. and it's a terrible, terrible film. But it um, it spawned that musical, and for me, Little Shop of Horrors is fantastic. And if you don't like musicals, give that one a go because I think you'll you'll come away from it, if not sort of like um, humming along to the music, then at least getting a, a good laugh out of it. Because Steve Martin is in it, and he plays this sort of psychopathic dentist, and he's got a scene stealing sort of song in that. But um, you should definitely watch it. Oh, man, it's such a I laugh. Definitely have to watch it. For some reason, I think. I got a copy of the Jack Nicholson one, and it was. I watched a few minutes and I went, Oh, this is so terrible. I just never returned to it. And I've kind of, what's the word, I suppose, I've um, conflated the two into the one, and, and I really shouldn't do that. <laughs> no, it's very different. But that little clip you showed there was really cool. That, re- that sh- I was like, going, Okay, I mean, this is, I've grown into, as you just said there about um, tastes, your kind of taste changing as you get older. I was one of those people who certainly, I really thought musicals were a bit of waste of time, you know, up until maybe 15 years ago. And I don't know what happened or what kind of like part of my DNA changed, but now I absolutely adore musicals. I think they're just wonderful. I was so excited to talk about this episode because Mm. I can't write without listening to music. And um, I have to create these playlists where I can zero in on a type of vibe or an emotion. And I listened to Chateau by yeah. Rob Duggan 365 <laughs> times. <laughs> 365 times. <laughs> 
I wrote an entire third act of um, an adaptation of a Wilbur Smith book called Cry Wolf, which is not period appropriate at all. But that yeah. that music just got me so pumped up and so fired up. And I don't know, what's it like for you? Do you write to music or do you need silence oh, or yeah. how does it work? I have to write the music now to be able to, it allows a part of my brain to, um, to quieten down and focus the, the chattery part of my brain. But if there's any song comes on the playlist yeah. with any sort of lyrics, then I, I it just it just grinds me to a halt. I'm a scat man. It's like words because I need I need the word part of my brain to to, to run free, but the, yeah, yeah. the music is kind of reaching or maybe channeling a subconscious. Maybe that kind of. Uh, What's the word? Do you know, the, it's all um, soundtracks for me. It's like I have more soundtracks, soundtracks than anything too. else. Yeah, me too. I've gotten into, I've kind of wore my soundtrack playlist kind of like to, to you know, nearly Spotify is, if could, Spotify could be worn out on, you know, Johan Johannesson's stuff, I, it would be, would be worn out by me alone. But I found myself Rest just in getting into Rapporo, nah, he was fantastic. But I found myself kind of getting into random ambient stuff. There's some YouTube videos where they've just slowed down, created like an ambient of a movie. I, I remember somebody slowed down the Jurassic Park theme and it was just such a chill sort of... But yeah, for me, I, I, I love that stuff as well. Kevin, I've got a trivia thing that we're talking about slowing stuff down as it just popped into my head that you know Hans Zimmer he made the music for the, the most recent Man of Steel movie. And it's a score that I actually go back to. I really like that score. But do you know how he created that score? He slowed down John Williams' original Superman theme. And there's a brilliant... Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's the original... Dun, da, dun, da, 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 but it's all like... Dun, dun. And it's like it's each note just elongates, you know, almost to infinity. The, the Superman score is just, it gives me goosebumps every time I hear it, and that's my favourite film. It's like, yeah, I know it's a bit naff and cheesy these days, but um, it's my first love, and I don't think you ever sort of escape your first love. Uh, but yeah, no. it you know, as we're talking about this music, I'm remembering that the thing that I was most nervous about when Grabbers was getting made was what the music was going to sound like, and I was hoping and praying right. that even the effects didn't matter as much as whether I would like the music to the film and um, yeah. still uh, through all my experiences in the film industry the highlight for me was going to Air Studios to see Christian Henson recording with a full orchestra the score to Grabbers and um, I was so relieved that I loved the music and I still think it's uh, it's well it's my favourite thing of the whole film and um, wow. yeah it was like a, a goosebump moment for me just to sit there and watch people translate something that I came up with in my bedroom when I was like 25 uh, and turn it into this yeah. big celebratory Irish monster movie with all this sort of heart behind it I just loved it Did you hear the score beforehand before you heard it live or were you aware of it when you you know what I mean before you went to the recording Have you? did you know what it was going to be I had heard I think I'd heard a theme um, a sort of a demo theme and it was just sort of what would be over the opening credits but to go to the actual Air Studios, you know, where they've recorded the Beatles and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, to sit there and... Yeah. It, it, what blew my mind was there's a little observation uh, bench, sort of a, a, an alcove that you can sit on, and um, on the other side of the screen, you've got the orchestra and you can watch them recording. Yeah. But 
it was blowing my mind that it felt like somebody was just pressing play on a CD and these people were just miming to it because it was so it was so perfect wow. sounding wow. but um, no there was the, like there was um, yeah. it was overwhelming I'll put it that way because the music sounded so beautiful and heartfelt and very Irish and uh, so that was like a, a treasured memory for me That's awesome. It's got a real emblem vibe. And you're absolutely right in what you're saying with the score. Like the score for me, it's it's oh, one of one film composer described the score as being like the finely cut suit to go over the body of the film. You know, a finely tailored suit. I like some bad movies because I love the score so much. And there are films that are technically spectacular, but the music just grates on me and I cannot connect to the, the film. And I don't know what it is about music, but it's it it seems to be some sort of magical thing that one person's, you know, um, melody is another person's cacophony. And you can't really, mm. you know, you can't really say, listen to this album, you're going to love it. It's a complete risk uh, any time you sort of um, open yourself up to um, people seeing what your favourite music mm. is. Because it, it, it's, it's a weird thing how just music affects people in different ways. But I was so relieved that I, I loved the, um, the Grabber mm. score. But... I wanted to ask you, Will, about Song of the Sea because you obviously have um, a theme song in that film and yeah. uh, it's quite a beautiful one. Yeah, music was really important in the development of Song of the Sea because I, my first meeting with Tom Ward, the director, he we were first kind of proper, you know, let's get into this kind of meeting. We, the story was completely, you know, there was no, there was no story as such. It was just characters, the setting, and a kind of a myth, right? And um, but Tom had already, they'd already said, right, we have to get a conceptual trailer together to kind of, you know, sell this, you know, uh, film. And he played me the, the the rough animatic of the conceptual trailer, but they had a piece of um, Keela's. Uh, a, a, a song from I think it was unpublished uh, Keela song running over it and as soon as I heard it I just went yeah I know the tone of this film I absolutely knew from that moment and that tone stayed consistent through all of the crazy drafts that we had and where we felt like we were losing the story and never really had it. We always knew what the tone of the film would be. And then when it came to the actual, because um, that was a piece of music by Keela, but then the, the composer was Bruno Collet. And uh, we were, mm. I remember saying to Tom, like, you know, because there was a piece of music that had to be, used over and over again in Song of the Sea like the girl's playing it on her shell the mom teaches it it's like the key to the whole film was this like piece of music um, but you can still kind of hear the theme that that piece of music Bruno used it in one of the pieces of music in the film you can hear that it's called Dee's theme it's still there's an echo of it in one of the pieces of, in the film so yeah music was vital to us
also like when it comes to the musicals, um, there's two types of them. There's music films and there are musicals. And uh, the music films, you know, there's, those are the ones that uh, they're like diegetic. So the music is coming from within the film itself, from like a performance that's that's uh, being being carried out by the lead character. So uh, like the commitments and Sister Act and Eight Mile and stuff like that. Or Walk the Line. Uh, but then you have ones like the Blues Brothers, which sort of straddles both. It's it's a traditional musical in that you'll have these magical realism musical numbers like the Aretha Franklin think scene. You better think about what you're saying. You better think about the consequences of your actions. Oh, shut up, woman. You better think, think, think about what's trying to do to me, yeah. Think, 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 let your mind go let yourself be free. And then you'll also have uh, the band themselves like performing on stage and that sort of uh, diegetic music where it, it makes sense for the audience to be hearing that music. It's not sort of like a superpower that the characters have where uh, they can't fly but they can sing and everyone just accepts that in this world people can sing. Um, but The Blues Brothers is my second favourite musical. I have uh, picked for this uh, moment um, Everybody Needs Somebody, which is a big finale number from the end That's of the film. Great. Every- I love it. I love it too, Will. This is me, back again from the future, talking over the music like a 90s radio DJ. I used to hate that. I was trying to tape the song. I was trying to steal it. And it's like a concert movie. It is, yeah. It's like a, it's a concert film. But it's, um, it's directed by John Landis, you know, in 1980, uh, and it was based on an SNL skit by Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. And uh, they just love that type of music. So it's a little bit like a jukebox musical in that they'll bring out so, sort of old classics and bring out old musical stars and celebrate all them. But it's such a joyous uh, film. And again, it's like, it's blues. So you've got the Motown with um, Little Shop of Horrors and the bluesy music of Blues Brothers. And um, those are two musicals where if people say to me they don't like musicals, I'm like, but you have to love the Blues Brothers. Yeah. It's got such a class soundtrack and there's a great physicality um, between the two characters like when they're doing their their little dance their, their routine we'll say the music their, their actual dance routine is kind of hypnotic they're like they're not dancers but they have like it's a it's it's an entertaining kind of like they have an entertaining shuffle <laughs> yeah, it's great I enjoyed that that's a great pick that is a great great pick I thought so too this is what the episode would sound like if it was just me by myself weird Rambling. Oh, my DJ name. Call me DJ Langer. That that film has it all. You know, car chases, John Candy cameos, Steven Spielberg cameos. It's got Nazis getting smashed in the head. It has it all. Harry Fisher. With a bazooka. Yes. (laughs) But I love it. So my number two favourite musical is The Blues Brothers. Brilliant. I can understand why people would have an aversion to musicals because I felt for this one that you couldn't pay me enough to watch it. You'd have to strike <laughs> right. me. And that was uh, Lynn Moran- Lin Manuel, oh, how do you say his name? Lynn Manuel Miranda. Lynn Manuel Miranda. Let me try that again. And it's Lynn Manuel Miranda's. Uh, <laughs> Lynn Manuel. <laughs> I spoke over you. Say it again. So it's uh, it's Hamilton. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show.
without a father Got a lot farther by working a lot harder By being a lot smarter By being a self-starter Daughter I get why people would have an aversion to some musicals because I had the same feeling myself. I remember when Hamilton was sort of this big musical that was coming out of the States. It was sort of like following on from the Book of Mormon, which I still haven't seen or, or have listened to the soundtrack, but I hear it's brilliant. Uh-huh, I saw it in the West End's fantastic. Am I saying Excuse me, sir, but, but what exactly does that phrase mean? Well, let's see. Ibowai means God, and Hasadiga means fuck you. So I guess in English it would be fuck you, God. Hasadiga Ibowai. What? But with Hamilton, I tried twice to watch it, and I gave up both times. And it was starting to annoy me that people loved it so much. And then I decided, well, screw it. I'm going to commit. I'm going to force myself to watch this just so I have an opinion on it. Mm-hmm. And um, I kept watching until we got to this big torch song mm-hmm. in it called yeah. Satisfied. All right, all right. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> now everyone give it up for the maid of honor, Angelica Skyler. And suddenly the whole thing reversed chronology. And the, the character of um, the sister, yeah. the Skyler sister, started telling the story from her point of view. Yeah. And the whole thing got deconstructed and it yeah. was just, suddenly it was like, this is incredible. The staging, mm. the intelligence yeah. behind it, the lyrics, the performance. And um, I was so hooked in that I went from loathing it at the beginning to being in tears by the end. And I was the same as you. I just heard about this thing, this thing called Hamilton. I had no idea what it was about, or I didn't know any. I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't even listened to the the, 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 the soundtrack in advance. And we decided on the night of the U.S. presidential election uh, in November. We we said, okay, we're going to watch something. I said, let's do this Hamilton thing, and uh, we put it on. And the three hours just flew by. Uh, I too had to put on at the beginning I was like okay I don't know what they're saying and once we put on the subtitles then we were just with it you just get up to speed within five minutes and the tracks the numbers in the first half are just beautiful I love Leslie Odom Jr. who plays uh, Hamilton's nemesis Uh, but his numbers are the most passionate and the most powerful ones for me to the to the lawyers to Figuring out how to turn on the mic properly so that I don't sound like I'm in a box. To all of you for listening to this and for allowing us to make these mistakes as we learn how to do this. Thank you. We hope you'll be satisfied with the progress that we're making. We are, anyway. I don't know why I'm using this voice, but let's get back to the show. Oh shit, there's still more of the song. I didn't realise it was this long. 
Who knows if they'll ever make a, an actual film of it, but I thought it, we had to mention it just because it's the last musical that really just blew my socks off. Um, but in terms of movie musicals, I was going to get into the history of it and go right back oh, cool. to the beginning. And if we're going to talk about like the, the best bits, then you have to doff your cap at the people that created it. So the movie musicals, they really, they begin with the invention of sound. And um, you had this guy called Lee DeForest, who he regards himself as the father of radio, but he was an inventor and he created the ability for sound recording. And in the 20s, Warner Brothers were in a bit of a pickle. They were, you know, running out of uh, money and they were having flop after flop after flop. And they needed... Uh, some way to hook the audience in. Sound was one of yeah. those new fads that the uh, filmmakers at the time and the studios at the time thought, um, let's jump on that and see if it'll bring in the audience. And Warner Brothers were the first to sort of throw their hat into the ring. And they put out Don Juan, which was in sound, and it was the first talkie. A lot of people think that it was um, the jazz singer, singer yeah. just that, wait a minute, you ain't heard nothing yet. But it was actually Don Juan, which starred, you know, Drew Barrymore's granddad, John Barrymore. Oh. Um, and that was a massive hit. And so the next year, they put out a notice saying that every single film released by Warner Brothers is going to be in sound. With that, bringing in the musical reviews and the chorus lines, and uh, it drew the people in. And by the time you got to 1930... There were a hundred musicals made in one year. And this is the time of uh, single screen cinemas and the studios owning the actual cinemas. So you had two musicals a week being released and you couldn't really see anything else. And that sort of burned out the audience. So by the next year, by 1931, there was 14 musicals released. Whoa, that's some disparity. (laughs) It was, but the audience just got completely sick of them. And of course, it didn't help then as well that the Great Depression came in. Um, people were staying home and listening to music that was on the radio for free. But, you know, at that stage, Hollywood fully committed. They were into sound, at least. And um, the musicals would ebb and flow, but it wasn't until Busby Berkeley that the musicals sort of had another resurgence. And Busby Berkeley is one of those people that, when you talk about the musicals, you have to sort of mention him, because he took the musicals away from being, like, stage performances and into actual theatrical um, experiences where he decided that... The one thing you need to do for a movie that's different to what had come before was move the camera. And he brought in, you know, all those sort of like interesting new perspectives that you couldn't get from like a Broadway show where uh, he would have like the camera passing under the legs of the chorus line girls and uh, or you'd have it overhead and you'd have like, um, you know, like synchronized swimmers sort of splashing about. And these, these were sort of jaw dropping sort of spectacles. And that was his great sort of like... Um, uh, addition to the musical was that you've got the songs, you've got the dancing, but now you've got the visuals to go on along with it. And so Busby Berkeley was someone that had revolutionised the genre behind the scenes. But then in front of the screens, you had uh, Fred Astaire. And Fred Astaire was the guy who sort of popularised the musical and became one of the stars of the whole genre. You know, he teamed up with Ginger Rogers and they had the whole run of films in the 30s and what have you. But the musical sort of like continued on in that vein. They were star vehicles and you'd have these song and dance numbers that felt very tangential uh, for some reason, you know, for any reason at all. You'd have like Gene Kelly just dancing with uh, Tom and Jerry. Um, And those would be spectacular sort of like fantastical scenes, but they wouldn't really be tied into the plot. 
And it wasn't until Rodgers and Hammerstein that the musical took on a whole other evolution and they really established what the musicals are to this day. And that was the book musical. And what they did that was different to everyone else, you know, you had, um, as I say, you had um, Busby Berkeley bringing in that musicals needed to um, be visual and it needed to be all about the staging and you couldn't just film people dancing on a stage. You had to sort of get in there and dance with them. They decided mm. that um, they were going to reverse it and it wasn't going to be music and lyrics. It was going to be lyrics and music and that every single song was going to be story-driven and that if you remove the song from the film, the film wouldn't work. And that sort of transformed what the musicals were and suddenly they were, they were storytelling. And so when Bob Fosse wow. says that uh, musicals have two types of song, the I Am and the I Want song, those were all sort of embedded into the story aspect of what songwriting should be with musicals. This was a whole new spin on it. And regardless of the genres that have come afterwards, even if they're quite avant-garde, that was really the golden age of musicals. And my third favourite musical, every song is uh, plot-driven and it pushes the story forward, mm-hmm. which is Soap Park's Bigger, Longer and Uncut. <laughs> I love so That's a great film. <laughs> you guys, this is all Kyle's mom's fault. Shut up, Cartman. Kyle's mom is the one that started that damn club and all because she's a big, fat, stupid bitch. Don't say it, Cartman. Wait. Don't do it, Cartman. Wait. I'm warning you. Okay, Uh-oh. Okay. I'm getting pretty sick of him calling my mom. This song is great. It's really great. I wish you could probably hear it, though, but it's not allowed, and that's so sad, so please go rent, buy, and download. Hmm, yeah. Editing's a bitch. We're not getting rich. Please give us five stars and don't be a snitch. Then, if you want to, just rebrand, you can tell your friends that we're great, so we're not so niche. Come on, you know the score. Well, not really, because I keep interrupting it. Sorry about that. You know, I could just, like, cut this out, but... I actually like listening to it. So, here we go. I feel like I'm losing my mind here. Is this ASMR? Do you think this will win us a podcast award? Do they give up podcasting awards? Okay, song is wrapping up. We can get back to the episode. And back to me, sounding like I'm in a box. Enjoy the rest of the show. And thanks for listening. Still. (laughs) (laughs) They're geniuses. So Kyle's mom's a bitch. I remember seeing this in the cinema when it came out. Maybe it came out around 1999 it came out. Oh yeah, it was 1999. Okay. And it was a full, it was a Saturday night audience. It was a packed house. And it was a glorious experience of everyone just being in convulsions of laughter and that sense of communal hysteria. And they are parodying all those MGM classic movies. They're, you know, they're adhering to the formula that was established by um, Rodgers and Hammerstein. And they're obviously huge fans of them because they went on to do it again and again, like with even putting on their own smash hit Broadway musical. 
But uh, that is a fantastic, fantastic pick. They're geniuses. Like, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are absolute, you know, stone-cold geniuses. So, like, if you're saying to me you don't like musicals, I've I've mentioned three notes so far. Ah, fuck. So the, the golden age of the MGM musicals, they ran up until 1958 and it was like Gigi was, is considered as the last sort of golden age musical. And after that, um, you got into the deconstruction of them with the Bob Fosse era where the musicals were a lot more avant-garde and they were darker and it wasn't so much like lavish productions as it was flash mobs that would take place in real environments. So like Cabaret and um, Sweet Chariot, they're they're brilliant big dance numbers and, and sequences in that but they're in natural spaces with natural lighting um, but while all that was going on you had Walt yeah. Disney obviously who still had a team and a company in house that was creating their own music MGM had wrapped yeah. up their uh, side of that Arthur Freed's unit was gone and in the 60s yeah. it became about outsourcing the musical and taking them from Broadway and doing adaptations of them but Having the songwriters in-house writing new music for stars to perform, that was over, aside from Disney. And my fourth pick, my fourth favourite musical, and it's a Disney musical, it's Walt Disney's favourite piece of music um, from all of his films is the one that I'm going to play for you now. And it's from Mary Poppins, which is my fourth favourite musical. And it's um, Feed the Birds, and it's the rare ballad that I love. Feed the birds. Ah, Jesus. It's an absolute sin to interrupt this song. But, yeah. Oh, well. Ah, God. I got really emotional um, when I was doing this episode, doing this section. I was actually getting choked up. I don't know if you can hear it, because I sound like I'm in a box. Oh, it's a lovely one. So, Feed the Birds sums up that whole film uh, because Mary Poppins comes not as, you know, is famously known at this stage to nanny the children so much as to rescue the dad and to open his eyes to what he's yeah. missing. And, you know, they did that movie with Saving Mr. Banks and mm. and Feed the Birds is sort of the moral of the whole movie. The most important thing to do and to contribute is kindness. Oh, that's lovely. And um, to sort of pay attention to the little things in life and to feed the birds. Listen, she's calling to you. Feed the birds. Tuppence a bag. Tuppence, tuppence, tuppence a bag. And, uh, yeah, you get to the end of the film and it's Mr. Banks um, singing uh, Let's Fly a Kite. And it's a fun, fun musical and it's full of comedy and it's got lots of magic yeah. and what have you. But it's, it always tugs at my heartstrings when he's singing Let's Fly a Kite and he's uh, skipping off with his kids. It's beautiful. Oh, let's go fly a kite up to the highest height. Let's go fly a kite and send it soaring up through the atmosphere up where the air is clear oh it's great performances the whole lot there like everyone in it is just like there's, there's a good performance from all the everyone in that film 
Let's go fly a kite, blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, does this count as stealing copyright? But who'd want to hear me sing? Sing. Oh, such a beautiful film. As I said, you had Bob Fosse deconstructing the uh, the musicals, and they were starting to wane at that stage. Right. But in the 70s, you had, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show in 75, and you had Saturday Night Fever, and as I say, these were darker sort of approaches to the genre itself. They weren't yeah. the Technicolor, razzle-dazzle, you know, big spectacle numbers. They were gritty stories that had um, fantastic soundtracks. And my final and fifth pick... Uh, is a 1970s musical and it's um, because I'm basic it's probably the most successful musical there's been one that ran for decades um, on Broadway and is still uh, done as revivals all around the world to this day and it's um, 1978's Grease Kevin, I have never watched Grease from start to finish. Oh, you're joking me. No. I have seen it in bits and pieces. You need to watch Grease. Grease is brilliant film, and, you know, one of the, the most um, heartening things about it now is that it, it's about a cast of teenagers who are all in their late 40s. That's the thing. When I look at Grease, all I see <laughs> is just the, the grease on their skin. That's all I see. I just think, yeah, it looks really greasy. Oh, it's but so it's sad. such amazing music. It was a gigantic hit, obviously, but uh, it was the one-two punch for Travolta. He was coming off Saturday Night Fever and he followed up with Grease and that just established yeah. him as the guy that, if you get him in a film, you got to get him dancing. And uh, Tarantino yeah. was like, we got Travolta, we've got to have him dancing in Pulp Fiction. Saturday Night Fever is really quite gritty and it's quite, it's quite dark. Did you know that Stallone directed a sequel to Saturday Night Fever called um, Staying Alive? Yes, I did know that, but I'd never seen it. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've never seen it either. But you know, you you're getting into the eighties after that, so that the era of the musicals um have yeah. sort of petered out and then it became all about the Disney musicals, the kids' films. Um so you had like uh, Little Mermaid and, and Beauty and the Beast and what have you and Aladdin. Um but I think what happened as well is that you had the rise of MTV. And so music videos became the thing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you can't say that stuff like Thriller isn't a musical. Yeah. It's even directed by John Landis, who did Blues Brothers. It's totally a movie. It's not funny. You were scared, weren't you? I wasn't that scared. Yeah. I have a bit of trivia that I want to drop in there. And um, Michael Jackson's Moonwalk is directly inspired, if not directly cogged, from Bob Fosse in The the Little Prince. Um, there's been animated adaptations of it. But Bob Fosse plays a snake. It's like out in the desert and you can clearly see him doing uh, a version of the moonwalk. Fred Astaire was a massive fan of Michael Jackson. He regarded him to be the best dancer to follow in his footsteps. He said that he danced angry like himself and he was glad to live long enough to see his predecessor. 
Wow. Uh, so he was a huge fan of, of Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson obviously did his own musicals. He did. Um, he was in The Wiz with Diana Ross, um, uh, the music by Quincy Jones. But, you know, in the era of MTV, what you had then with the sort of the fallow period for the musicals themselves, you had Victor Victoria and you had uh, certain sort of Broadway adaptations like that. But you had this glut of music tie-ins. So from the 80s to the 90s, every major release by Hollywood had a big song that tied into the film and so bucket loads of soundtracks. Wow, of course. When you think of the 80s, there's not a film that you can think of that didn't have like a tie-in song. Yeah. You even had ones that were like... Back to the Future, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Those are the ones where it's like they're directly written for the film. Like you get 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton and uh, Here's Johnny by DeBarge. But every film had them. Like Top Gun had... Uh, had two it had like um, Danger Zone and I had Take My Breath Away but in that era you know of the 80s and 90s um, you couldn't as I say get a film into the cinema without having that tie-in song some of the songs were like so far removed from my own taste that I wouldn't actually see the film because of it had some ones that I genuinely love like St. Elmo's Fire which sounds like the song yeah. from every movie of the 80s I can see Um, and then in yeah. the 90s, you had like all the Tarantino films that were coming out with their um, soundtracks and train spotting and um, movies that were sort of sold on their music. Right. Uh, but as MTV started to fade away and we got into the early 2000s, the actual tie-in theme song started to fade away as well. Um, and then you had sort of the next evolution of the musical, which was the Jukebox musical. Where it was original music and they would sort of fashion a story out of that catalogue of songs. The first one that was sort of a major hit uh, of that era was Mamma Mia in 1999. The stage adaptation of that became a smash hit and it's all the music of ABBA. They did two uh, film adaptations of that. Mm-hmm. But that sort of kicked off this whole new craze. You then had Moulin Rouge uh, and you had Across the Universe. But if I was to pick a song from those uh, type of musicals, I would actually go back to probably the song, which if you think of musicals in general, it's the one that most people would go straight to. And um, not many people know it, but it's um, a cover version that was done by Judy Garland in 1940 in a musical called Little Nelly Kelly. And she was covering it from uh, a 19... Uh, 20s musical but the version that I love um, as I say it's a a cover version so it counts as a jukebox musical it's Gene Kelly singing in the rain oh well now that's fantastic it's I was wondering when you were going to bring this when you I was like have you just are you just going to skip this film entirely or are you going to bring it up or when's when's it going to appear (laughs) 
singing in the rain. Just singing in the rain. Oh, we have to discuss singing in the rain. If you weren't going to bring it up, I was going to bring it up. What I now appreciate about musical numbers is that they seem to capture, they capture emotion. Well, it was Bob Fosse again, that great scholar that said, when a character can't express their emotions through dialogue, they have to burst into song. And when they can't express their emotions through song, they have to burst into dance. And like Singing Rain is one of those, you know, God, it's only in recent years I've really, truly gotten to, I've always, you know, when you hear a film mentioning like, you know, the top of list, you kind of become a little bit tired and a little bit, you, you become, it becomes like white noise and you just kind of bl- block it out. But it's such a meta film in its own self like you know it was aware that it was looking back on the Busby Berkeley era and kind of like satirising it and pastiche yeah it was referencing all that stuff yeah but like again that was one of those films it doesn't stop moving it, it, the, the story moves at a great clip and it takes it's an unusual story and it takes some great turns that's a great, absolutely fantastic film mm. Gene Kelly was the first star from that era that I I was drawn to, like, you know, in films like An American in Paris and On the Town, I think... Yeah, that's got that in, uh, that's got that incredible um, dance sequence where he's on roller skates. Yeah, yeah. So seeing those, just even if you're just passing by the screen and your eye, he's he, he catches mm. your eye and it's just like, what? He, he's, he's almost like a circus performer, just a really elegant circus performer and it's... They're dizzying and wonderful and, uh, yeah, fin- yeah, fantastic, fantastic film. No, I'm just taking the piss. No, I'm just ruining it out of frustration. But how could you not just luxuriate in that spectacular music? I say spectacular way too much in this podcast. Terrific, terrific music. Wait till Will hears this. I don't know what he's going to think. So, Will, that is uh, a good summation, I think, of my love of a specific kind of musical. Uh, I've mentioned my five favourite musical films and my big number, my big pick, is from one of those five. But before I get into it and have it play us out, I was going to spin the wheel for you for next week. Oh, hello. That sounds amazing. It sounds different. I'm here catching me <laughs> by surprise. I'm here going, I, my pants are down, but I'm going to pull them up. <laughs> pull them up. Great. I'm pulling them up. Kevin, please, I'm, yeah, you've, yeah, please, let's, let get, let's get this done. And, um, nervous as heck, but I. Before I, um, spin the wheel, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter, uh, under Willems Film, W I L L U M S F I L L U M. And Kevin, where can people find you? They can also find me on Twitter at Kevin Lee Han. And as I say, each episode, we also have um, uh, a podcast Twitter, which is Best Bits Pod. And you can find both of our handles on there. And you'll have the wheel from this episode, which I'm just about to spin right now and screen record. But here we go, Will. I'm spinning. I'm spinning. Oh, my God. And it's best. I can't believe that was in a kid's film scene. What? <laughs> what the hell? 
Buzz. I can't believe that was in the kids' so it's got to be something traumatic from the kids' oh film. God. Before you oh sort of um, start letting your mind spin off that, I have to tell you uh, what my best bit is in terms of musicals. Oh, what is this? And I went with the song that if it came on at a wedding, I don't care who you were, I don't care what age you were, you're getting dragged up onto the dance floor and uh, giving your auntie a twirl. And if you're not doing that, the music is calling to itself. Oh, wow. And um, it's the one that I think, uh, if it doesn't spark joy within you, then um, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. But also it's it's the one that... Uh, it's the one oh that I think people have as many memories of outside of the film as uh, watching the film. And it was a number one all over the world. Okay. And it's, um, you're the one that I want. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. We've all been on the floor. To... Tell me about it, Stud. Sandy. <laughs> Brilliant. Tell me about it, Stud. I am bored and this is annoying but what can I do I have got to comply with copyright I'm gonna fade out from this moment on But go listen to the song I'm gonna fade out And I'm gonna say Please go download this film Illegally Oops, I meant Legally <laughs> That's what I mean Films are fun Thank you for downloading this podcast. I'm sorry. 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 The Best Bits podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review. All that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. Mini bits. Another new episode. Of this Patreon podcast. Exclusive. The best bitch podcast with Will and Kev Bonus content for you, yeah That's right, this is for you Not for them, just for you The best bitch podcast with Will and Kev Exclusive content You want the talking films and show The best bitch podcast This is for you Kevin, how are you? Hi, honey. How are you? Oh, you know, I've got this. I've got my corns sorted out. I went to the Chiraptist the other day, and uh, she Your said, "Corn, uh, my corns." Do you, you ever get corns? No. Did you know what a corn is? Yeah, it's a bunion on your foot, isn't it? Yeah, like in between your toes and stuff like that.
Do you, do you not wear any shoes like around the house you walk no, barefoot? I, I, I wear, no, it's the opposite. GA shorts. It's the opposite. I wear incredibly tight shoes. Like those Chinese women oh. who get their feet bound, who had their feet bound like, you know, before the turn of yeah. this last century. And so they had incredible corns and bunions. This is a great opener for a mini bits episode where we get people disgusted. Squally, it's episode 73 of the mini bits. <laughs> I'm Kevin, your Will. This is yeah. our Patreon podcast. Thank you to all our lovely patrons. Yeah. A few of you have jumped in recently. I don't know what we said. We try to goad people into joining up every single episode. And then every so often, it's like a lot of people join because of one specific episode. And yeah. I'm like, what did we, how did we say it? What did we say on that episode? It's different <laughs> to the other 270 episodes. Maybe it didn't sound as desperate. Maybe we said, don't join. Maybe reverse psychology. That's how we should do it. Reverse psychology. Don't join up to our patron. Don't. It's, <laughs> you don't des- Everybody cancel. <laughs> you don't deserve to be in this group. We don't want you. We don't we like don't the look need of you. you. We, don't, we don't need anybody. <laughs> it's just us. <laughs> it's absolutely just us. Hey, should we tell people? We, we did, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't say it on mic especially so early. We did an interview with the Irish Examiner last Friday. We did. Yeah. And uh, how do you think yeah. I, how do you think I did? I, I, I think you did all right. Like you didn't interrupt me once. So I was <laughs> delighted with how I came across, but, you know, there's no sort of time limit on this. We don't know when it's going to get posted. One of our friends was saying, Kathy at the cinema was saying that their interview with did they do the examiner as well? It was six uh, months yeah. before it posted. And, and the Guardian, I'm pretty sure. They were, they were profiled in the Gar- Guardian as well. Yeah, but we don't do any really promotion. Like nah. We don't do anything. Well, this is our first time getting any sort of like proper coverage, which is going to be mad. So um, uh, listen to all you listeners who have uh, found us before we explode. You're you're you're, you're an OG. Bust. You're an OG listener. Before Kevin starts getting gold chains from all his Patreon dash. I think I'm more of a silver than a gold. I think oh, yeah. my uh, undertones suit more silver. But, uh, yeah. I just want to die. Those I, are my Prince Albert. <laughs> Your hat. Yeah. I want Speaking one of, of the, which, I want one of those diamond studs in my tooth. That's all I want. So I can go bing whenever I'm on a call. Oh uh, yeah, bing. I usually just, you know, wink and like glints. Yeah. Like a starlight twinkle. <laughs> Speaking of which, I interrupted you. What, what, we, what, did, what did you want to speak of, which? Start the timer. Oh, I forgot. You may as well. Start the timer. They, all, all these lucky losers are listening in and, and they're wondering, what are we going to be talking about? But we have to start talking about them after. Yeah. We, we say goodbye. But look, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, you've seen a few things. You've seen the new Godzilla film. Yes. I've seen the first Omen. Uh, I saw Scoop as well. That, oh, uh, we're looking Netflix forward to thing. watching that. Okay. Okay. I'll save my thoughts. And right. um, what else did I see? I made notes, but sure. You it doesn't did. really matter. I think I saw it. And I was going to go through all the summer releases and see what oh. takes your fancy. Okay, okay. I'm looking forward because I don't actually know what's what's on the horizon. So, um, I'm well, the Joker two trailer came out today. I saw it. Yes, I watched that. Hmm. It reminded me of Chicago. Yeah, it's kind of like you see. It's all very much in the mind's eye. It, they're calling it a jukebox musical. Am I right in saying that? I think you're right in saying that. So, look, hey, listen. Uh, I, I actually what it, what it did remind me of. <laughs> 
was that I want to watch, rewatch the Joker because I saw it in the cinema and I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It was a kind of a bold new direction. Uh, I'm just going to go back and watch the episodes from the Batman 66 show, the Joker episodes. Oh yeah, that's going to be... Just to fill me in like on the lore. Get up to speed. Get you right up to speed. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll be there going, where... Where are all the guys in the purple suits with the masks? Why are, when are they going to show up? And like, it's you know, a weird time though, where we have the Penguin TV show with Colin Farrell coming out, which is a totally different canon version of the Penguin. Then you have this offshoot of Joker, which is its own universe entirely. Mm. And then you have the old Batman films that you can watch. Right. And, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just, I don't know. I'm kind There's of so many IP. But like this, just everywhere. what well, what's happened is the world, the comic book world, has very much entered the the film world. Is where you could have different runs, totally different runs of a character by it's different insane. authors, and there would be totally different riffs on it and stuff. Oh, oh, it's this is insane. the thing, Kevin. So I'm only catching up on this. You mentioned it to me on a on a pod on a podcast. Wait, was it on one of those? Uh, it was the last. Show? It was the last mini bits. Uh, I you, think. you said everyone's describing stuff as insane recently. I- and have you started noticing it though? Only, only, only with people trying to rise you. That's the only type, only where place where I've noticed people. No, people on Discord are trying to every, rise you. Oh my god! Oh my god! I could start posting now, like um, tweets, comments, TikToks, uh, articles, anything. Insane is everywhere. This is insane. That's insane. It's insane. There was a festival just going on about this insane lineup. Okay. I was like, oh, it's a mentally ill lineup. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's everywhere. And the other thing, do you know the other thing that's also bothering me lately? Wow. wow. And this has been bothering me for years and years and years. It used to be that everyone used to misspell definitely. They'd go defiantly. Okay. Oh, it's defiantly, whatever. They would just, they were morons. But no, I just keep noticing everyone keeps spelling a lot as one word. A-L-O-T. A yeah. lot. Where has, where have they gotten into their heads that a lot is one word? It's the same way that people will write every time as one word. What's the one that you've, you've pulled me up on a few times and I can't get it right? Compliment. Compliment. I can't, <laughs> but I can't get it right. It's like the you I. can, because I told you the other day. Yeah, and I went searching for it and I couldn't find it because I had to actually had to an, use it. If there's an I in compliment, it's yeah. I'm paying you. Oh, a compliment. That's a good way to remember it. Okay, good. And then compliment. I, I wrote that to you. But you did. And I went to try and find it because I was I would found myself writing the word compliments. And I went, shit, Kevin. But, I, but you, you gave me a thumbs up, which meant in my world that, yeah, I read that. Thanks. But I did, right? I'm talking about a couple of days later when I was faced with the exact same hurdle of writing the word compliment. I went, okay, what did Kevin say again about compliment? There's an I and the E. What did he say? So I went searching for it. And I found it, I think. And I went, oh, the eye is paying me a compliment or I'm giving you it's a compliment. It's insane how little you can retain information. It's insane. <laughs> Come here, let's talking about what we watched. Come on. Did you start the timer? Yeah, it's it's gone. It's ticking. It's ticking down. The world's going oh, to explode. You know, I have to put in the sound effect. I have to. I have to line oh. up all my sound effects. When you said start I the timer, like, I have a whole it's... fucking. I have a whole soundboard. Here. Okay. Jesus Christ! Where's my fucking? What? Where's my ding dang ding? Here we go. The timer has started. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. 